Just because he graduated WVU doesn't mean he's educated. But he does know sports. It's Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh at 970 AM and now at 106.3 FM. One straight up on a Thursday. I am Wesley Euler in for Adam Crowley. Tom Offerman behind the glass. Brian LaMartina in the studio with me. You on the phone lines. 412-922-2874 is how you get involved. Heavy Penguins Hour coming at uh, coming up at you, pardon me. If you want to call in, if you want to get on, now is the time to do it. We will take your Penguins calls in this hour. All your thoughts on Jim Rutherford, the Sherry and Hunwick trade, the rumored signings of Jack Johnson and Chris Kunitz and anything you'd like to see the Penguins do in free agency. It's all on the table here as we roll into the 5 o'clock hour. Congratulations to Brian. He was our fourth caller. He wins the pair of tickets to the All-Star Craft Beer, Wine, and Cocktail Festival at PNC Park. That is on Saturday, August 11th. You can get more info at ESPNPGH.com. Before we get back into some of this penguin stuff however tom who again is still wearing his shirt this is i had to call him tom offerman on air because i couldn't call him shirtless tom because that'd be lying to our audience and the number one transparency the number one virtue of the adam crowley show is transparency we got you back man i'll go now i'll leave it's a hard sign. You know, I had all these. I had to. I switched the your mom listens and you should too to your sister's <laughs> a big fan and you should be too. I had that one. No, I was just should have nailed it. That's why I got Tom and Brian here along with me. Before we jump into the hockey stuff, as I was saying, when Tom relayed down the line that Brian was the winner and it was Brian with a Y, I have a Brian with an I sitting in the studio yeah. with me, and I have been waiting for this moment my whole life. Yeah. Because I have been told and. For listeners of the Lebetard show, this is something that Greg Cody says quite often, that the I community and the IE community, when it comes to name spelling, looks down upon the Y community mm-hmm. in terms of how they... So Brian's with I's look down upon Brian's with Y's. Mr. LaMontina. Wes, they just spell it wrong. That's the problem. It's just spelled wrong. And it's a, I've got facts to back this up. It is a fact. It's a scientific fact. That people who have their name Brian spelled with an I have smarter parents. It's a fact. Look it up. Science. Somewhere in a journal or something. It's good stuff. I know we we have Katie here, correct? Uh, she is not here. Well, she's in around. the field. Yeah. Is she K-A-T-I-E or K-A-T-Y? I-E. It's I-E. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. So she would be in on it. There's, there's a lot of different examples of the I-E versus Y possibilities. And I've always found the people with Y don't really care. And you the just, people with I or IE are passionate about it that they were the ones with the good parents who really loved them and took care of them and raised them the correct way. <laughs> you just pointed something out really well. I like the way Katie spells her name, and I never put it together. That like It always bugs me when I see K-A-T-Y. Mm-hmm. I never put the Y and the E together in comparison to the Brian Y and E. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Open my world. Katie spells her name right. I spell my name right. Brian, I'm sure you're a nice guy who won the tickets there, and we hope you have a great time. But, dude... You just spell your name wrong. You know what just hit me like a Mack truck? You know who's part of the Y community? The guy who normally sits in this chair. Yeah. If you want yeah. to be technical about it, what's his last name? What yeah. letter does it end with? It does end with that. Yeah. It could be IE it, instead. See, that would mess with his Crow- whole... Crowley. That, <laughs> Crowley. Crowley. That would mess with his uh, image as a true Irishman. 
you know, because with the Irish version, you got to spell it EY, I think. I'll give him a pass on his last name as long as he doesn't have like Adam with like an N after the M, you know, something weird like that, like a damn. A a group that can get as passionate as the as the I community mm-hmm. is the Jim Rutherford can do no wrong community. <laughs> and gentlemen, I, we need to preface this all first before we get into this. I love Jim Rutherford. I wish he was my grandpa. I, as Jesse alluded to when we had him on earlier, I don't know if you could pick a better GM for the Penguins right now. All of this is true. One thing that I have loved since he's been here about Jim Rutherford is he's always admitted he's he's he would love the Crowley show because he's transparent as glass. He always admits and not only admits, addresses it when he knows that he made a mistake. We've seen this happen a few times, right? We saw it with Hunwick just now basically giving away, not giving away, it was part of a salary dump. But let's be real, that Sherry being attached to that was to get Hunwick off the books. He did it with Antti Niemi. He did it with Ryan Reeves. He's admitted in the past that it hasn't been a good deal. That wasn't a good contract. Maybe I would do things a little bit differently if I could go back in. I love that about Jim Rutherford. And like I said, he doesn't just admit when he makes mistakes. He instantly tries to ratify what he thinks is not correct or needs to be improved. A lot of general managers... There's one in this city. A lot of front offices, a lot of general managers, especially I feel like hockey and baseball are the two sports where it's very prevalent. They make a mistake. They sign a guy that they realize uh, the contract may be too much. They, they make a trade for a player and they realize that this guy doesn't really fit the team. Instead of rectifying that, addressing it, admitting your, fl- not flaws, but going forward with a new plan, a lot of GMs are too prideful, and they'll just dig their, their, they'll dig their, dig their heels in. Blah, blah, blah. They'll refuse to admit that they did anything wrong, and to make it even worse, a lot of times, they'll double down. They'll go out and do something dumber in hopes that it will produce a miraculous result. You've seen this lately a ton. I'm talking a ton from the uh, Montreal Canadiens. It all started with the P.K. Subban for the Shea Weber trade, which was the wrong move both in terms of a PR aspect and just the X's and O's of how good your hockey team is. That was the first example I think you saw of it with them, and it's, it's, it's snowballed ever since then. I love that Jim Rutherford, I can say, has never in his four years here in Pittsburgh, three, three and a half years, has never tried to fit a square peg into a round hole. If it's not working, he knows it's not working, and he addresses it. But what concerns me, and here come all the angry tweets and the angry phone calls, and you can tweet me, by the way, I haven't said this yet, at Wes Euler WVU, if you've got some opinions you want to get on and you don't want to call, that's U-H-L-E-R is how you spell my last name. Wes Euler WVU is my Twitter handle. Hockey is becoming more and more of a young man's game. It's becoming more and more of a speed, skill, finesse game as opposed to the heavy hockey that we saw teams like the Boston Bruins and the LA Kings have success with recently, not a long time ago. The Penguins were, man, they were the trailblazers. They were the trendsetters in that department. They brought up guys, when they brought up Rust and Sherry and a lot of young players, they were built on playing Northwest hockey and Northwest, North South hockey and using their speed and skill to just be better than you, not trying to physically beat you down, if you will. 
they kind of set the trend with that. They won two back-to-back Stanley Cups. You saw the Washington Capitals, while they still had guys like Tom Wilson and, and Brooks Orpik, and I guess maybe you even could put Devontae Smith-Pelly in there as a guy who plays heavy hockey. You saw the Capitals get younger, get smaller, get speedier, and get more skilled with their roster this year, and you saw the results, obviously. There were a lot of other things that played into that. The defense was much better. Braden Holpe was much better. But that was obviously a huge part of it. With hockey becoming more and more of a young man's game, more of a skating game, more of a speed game, a skill game, the Penguins seem like they've been ahead of the curve on this over the past couple years. But some of these things that are being talked about now, it's like they're paddling upstream. It's like they're rowing against the current that they created. I don't understand Jack Johnson. Listen, we'll get into more of that because that's a whole conversation. Chris Kunitz, some of these veteran guys that they're rumored to bring in. Like we talked about with Jesse, if they really are just depth guys, fourth-line guys, third-pairing defensemen, maybe they're even scratched for a handful of games because some of the younger guys end up fulfilling that potential. It is, it's concerning because it's not the way that the NHL is trending. It's not the way the Penguins have been playing hockey the past couple years. And it's... It's a return to older guys, more experienced guys, uh, defensemen like Jack Johnson, who's more physical. And again, it's, it's hard for me to sit here and, and bash Kunitz. I just know that at some point he's going to end up back up on Sid's line instead of a Zach Aston Reese or a Daniel Sprong or somebody young with speed who can skate with Sid. It's, it's concerning to me some of the things that have happened the past week, particularly the rumors of, of Jack Johnson and Chris Kunitz and, and, and some of these, like I said, just I, the Penguins going against everything that has given them success these past two years. And I, I can just see, uh, nothing's official. Jesse made sure to make this clear. You can't talk, quotations, you can't talk money, term, all that with free agents until July 1st. But if they really do have these deals in place with Jack Johnson and Chris Kunitz, I worry that we're going to get to the point here where... Kunitz is going to be up on the first line. Someone like Sprong or Zach Aston Reese is either scratched for half the games or they're back in Wilkes Bear. Or maybe someone, maybe it's someone like Teddy Bluger or a, 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 whoever it may be that gets pushed out. And then you're going to have Jack Johnson playing more minutes than someone like Olimata. And I know a lot of people in this town are down on Olimata. He is entering that same stage of his career development right now where that you saw Brian Dumoulin go through two years ago. And you saw where Brian Dumoulin's game went from age 24 to age 26. And that is the point that Mata is entering right now. It's almost like they say with a quarterback in the NFL, his second year is the most important. You want to see that development from first to second year. For a defenseman, when you want to see them grow, is in that 24-26 age range. It's a later development curve than forwards. It's just a harder position to play in the NHL. Ole Mata played a full season last year, completely healthy. He's going to have a full offseason. I worry that Jack Johnson, Chris Kunitz, more so than these guys just not being good, is that they're going to come in and they're going to take playing time away from from young guys, from better players who need the development curve because it's going to be more comfortable for Sid to put him with Chris Kunitz. It's going to be Sully will trust Jack Johnson's willingness to uh, be a little more defensive-minded than Olimata, things of that nature. And we'll find ourselves kind of having some of these uh, these conversations throughout the year about how the Penguins are taking steps back. That is all on the table. We'll get into some specifics more on Jack Johnson specifically. We will talk about the Penguins goalie situation 
as well. And, and you know we're going to have fun in this hour. we got to talk a little sports entertainment moment that happened here in Pittsburgh 20 years ago that I would say, and you could absolutely argue, is maybe the most iconic moment in sports entertainment history. That is all on the table as we roll along here in the 5 o'clock hour. If you want to get involved one more time, that phone number 412-922-2874. I'm Wesley Euler filling in for Adam. This is The Crowley Show. This is The Adam Crowley Show. I mean, I cannot believe the kind of nonsense that I am hearing right now. On ESPN Pittsburgh, 970 AM and 106.3 FM. It's hard. It's so hard to criticize a guy that has has done what Jim Rutherford has done over the past two years, especially when you consider the dumpster fire that he kind of, not dumpster fire, it's not like the Penguins were a disaster, but what he did with that roster in such a short amount of time between Mike Johnson's first year and to winning the Stanley Cup in 2016, I get it. Everybody wants to come to the aid, to the side of Jim Rutherford. If I had a dollar for every time I read today on Twitter, all these morons who are going to criticize the guy who won them two Stanley Cups in the last three years, I mean, I I could buy Tom a couple shirts. It's like, okay, so does that mean you can never criticize Bill Belichick? Ever. Not once. Uh, You can't question anything that Greg Popovich does. Any decision that... Mario Lemieux makes. It, it's a dangerous, slippery slope, and we could talk. We talk about how this sometimes sports mirror politics. We're seeing the same thing in politics right now, where it's you have to listen to this person, you have to trust this person, no matter what, and you can never question anything. It's a dangerous place to find yourself. Now, with your hockey team, it's. I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? The Penguins don't have a great year, right? But it is. I. <laughs> It's frustrating. It's frustrating when you get on Twitter and and you see not just mouthpiece random blowhards. You see people who are legit hockey people that are, how could you criticize anything Jim Rutherford's doing? And it's the other way to me. How could you not criticize? Guys, it's, it's been over 24 hours and I'm still not over the fact five years for Jack Johnson. Again, this is all hyperbole, right? As Jesse mentioned, if the... Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, the Phoenix Coyotes, the Arizona Coyotes, come to Jack Johnson and say, hey, we'll pay you $10 million a year. Whatever handshake, wink, wink agreement he had with the Penguins isn't going to matter anyways. He's going to sign with that team. But it seems pretty likely that Jack Johnson is going to sign a five-year deal in the neighborhood of $16 million with the Penguins on July 1st. Guys, it's been over 24 hours, and I'm still not over it. If if it was a one-year, two-year a million dollars, two million dollars a year, show and prove to me type deal, I would be like the complete opposite. I'd be gung-ho because Jack Johnson has some pedigree. But last year, he couldn't crack the lineup of the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they have a good blue line. They have Seth Jones, who was, I think, fourth in the Norris Trophy voting. They have Zach Rowenski, who's one of the better young defensemen in hockey. But this guy couldn't crack the lineup for the Columbus Blue Jackets, a franchise that is in its 18th season and still hasn't won a playoff series. <laughs> I don't get it. You've watched Jack Johnson play against the Penguins the past couple years. You've watched his style of hockey. It's heavy. It's physical. 
It's not like the Penguins play. Now, the only guy that you could maybe equate to the Penguins roster currently that kind of plays a similar game is, is Alexiak, is the big rig. But even he has more skating and more skill and more ability than Jack Johnson. And that's, I didn't even bring that up. We were talking about all the guys who could potentially be pushed down the depth chart, who could have their playing time cut down. Mata is the big one in terms of Jack Johnson that I'm concerned about. But where does this leave Alexiak as well? He was a great find for them last year. He's a guy that they're probably going to be able to get on the cheap $1.5, $2 million deal. It's just a lot of questions. And this is all in the back of, we can all admit, I don't care if Tom is, is Jim Rutherford's grandson, we can all admit he didn't have a great offseason last offseason. He's admitted that. Look what he's done. All the moves he made last offseason, those guys are gone. Ryan Reeves is gone. Antti Niemi's gone. Matt Hunwick's gone. All three guys that he brought in last offseason, two of them were gone before the year even ended. And one, Hunwick, what did he play, a dozen games for the Penguins during the regular? A little more than that, but he, I think he played one playoff game, and down the stretch, he, he didn't play at all. It's concerning. I said it in the first segment when I was introing it, that the Penguins are the only professional sports team in the world that I live and die with. WVU's like that for me, but they're not a professional sports team. I don't have the same expectations of WVU as I do the Penguins. It's concerning. You've yep. got two or three more years here, realistically, and where are they going? Yeah, yo, and and here's how it goes with GMs. You know, like as the fans, as we're maybe a little closer to the whole thing, but as general fans, you look at the minutia and you're like, oh, okay, he signed this guy. There's other factors involved. There's and, and I always like to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. You know, whether it's a Neil Huntington, I got to give him the benefit of the doubt because there's a guy above him who's a jackass who's writing the paychecks. So you got to look at it within that bubble. And the th same thing with Rutherford. He's up against cap space. There's a lot of minutiae. He's coming off and not three-peating. He's got to make some moves. He sees something, Sullivan, Sullivan sees something that they think is worthy of five years. I personally don't see it. I'm I'm very skeptical of the whole thing, but I think the real report card that that has to be that it has to be measured by is at the end of the season. Do we have a parade? If we do, then he made the greatest decision in the world. If and no one's going to care. Right. And then if he doesn't, then we're in a situation where, oh, that trade was awful. And, and hindsight always gives you the best value. But these guys are paid to look forward. That's what they do. They're very good at looking mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. and Project. Who am, yeah. And who am I sure. to sit here and say he's an idiot for making this trade? It makes me think, but I can't call him an idiot. And you said, too, if they win the Stanley Cup in the first year, everyone's going to be. It could be even Jack Johnson could have a, a okay, mediocre year next year. They could win the Stanley Cup in 2020. And then it'd be like Brooks Orpik, yeah, right? We yeah. talked about this before the show. It was, it's been hilarious. For three, four years, everyone in D.C., I mean, Brooks Orpik has been their, their whipping boy, mm -hmm. their goat. And I don't mean like greatest of all time goat. I mean their <laughs> scapegoat. N to now, they were like devastated that they bought him out. Yeah. And he's like the cult hero of he's doing water angels in the water fountain with Ovechkin and Oshie. So that you could have something like that happen too where it might not look good. at uh, Who knows? Yeah, the cup buzz will do a lot. Once you got that cup buzz... All things can One be One thing cured. you touched on there, you mentioned Sullivan and Rutherford. And this is interesting to me because I go back and forth sometimes on whose team it really is. Who is really the one that's saying, is it Jim's roster and Mike's coaching? Or is Mike involved with a heavy say in the roster decisions too? And I think it's pretty clear he does. 
because the only reason that the Penguins were kicking the tires considering rumored to be trading Phil Kessel listening is because Sullivan. I talked with this with you a little while ago. If you listen to Rutherford's comments when he went out and traded for Kessel, I mean, it's like he handpicked the perfect guy to marry his daughter. Like, yeah. he, this was my number one target. He scores goals. He's exactly what this team needs. He can skate. He's durable. He doesn't miss games. To now, it's like, oh, Phil's not the best teammate. Maybe he doesn't buy in and do all the things we want him to. Maybe it's the same with this Jack Johnson stuff. Mm-hmm. Whose team, whose roster is it really? That also concerns me because you see a lot of times where that works, right? Yeah. I just mentioned some names, Bill Belichick and Greg Popovich. They're basically the GMs of their team. They're yeah. iconic coaches. But you've also seen situations where that backfires, where the coach tries to get too much of a say in player personnel, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. The biggest example to me is Chip Kelly with the Eagles. Oh, yeah. Was a disa- perfect, they gave him all that power, and it was a disaster. He had no idea how to build a roster. It's happening right now with the Spurs with Kawhi and Greg Popovich. There's a huge rift between them. You could even say with Belichick, too. And I, Malcolm I never, Butler. I obviously think, and especially a coach like Sullivan that won nine straight playoff series here before he ever lost yeah. one, I don't have a problem with him having some input, but I think you always tread a dangerous line when a coach has a ton of... Belichick, Pavlovich, power, because one, what if it goes south? And two, when it does, it becomes murky. Like in San Antonio, whose fault is it that Kwai's unhappy? Is it Kwai's fault? Is it Pop's fault? Is it the GM's fault? In in Boston, in New England, you've heard all this stuff all offseason. The Patriots don't have fun. No one enjoys playing there. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Is, is that culture, is is that on Belichick? Is that on Robert Kraft? It, it can create, and you, I mean, talk about tensions. Look at all the stuff that was in the news with the Patriots, all these reports of them not liking each other and going Belichick going over, or, you know, Brady going over Belichick's head to get Garoppolo, all that stuff. I am, again, we're, we're getting, we're speaking in hypotheticals, but this right, is sports right. radio. That's what we do. I am worried that the Penguins are not sprinting full speed down that path but showing some of the tendencies of red flags of things that could come back to bite them in the, in the next couple of years. Here's the thing that gives me confidence, okay? So you've got Rutherford. You've got Sullivan. It's a formula that works. To your point about who's got control, I think in any good relationship between a GM and a coach, there's got to be some give and take. And I think these guys have it. And it even goes a level further because when Sullivan came in, One of his big points was to get with Sid, hang out with Sid, become his friend, and take his advice and and ponder it. Maybe not always take it, but there's a nice connection from GM to coach to star player that really works in a nice way. And I think the relationship there, I think Sullivan, to an extent, trusts Rutherford. And then on the other side, Rutherford trusts Sullivan. So it's a conversation. But then you add variables like cap space. You can't do everything. This isn't fantasy hockey where you just pick guys and you're good. And you just mentioned a variable, too. I mean, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, when you have talents like that, they they have to be variables. Now, to their credit, they don't necessarily want to be. I remember there's a famous, I don't know if you guys remember this, Ray Shiro, I think it was shortly before he got fired, maybe the the offseason before, he once said in an interview, half-jokingly, half-serious, because this that was when it was the height of find a winger for Sid, find a winger for Sid, find a winger for Sid. He was asked about that in a press conference, and if Sid has any input, and Shiro gave a response like, again, half jokingly, half laughing, but also serious that I almost wish Sid would give me more of an input on the roster. Yeah. He stays away from it, yeah. and that's that's good, right? I mean, you don't. 
I would rather have my superstar be like that than be LeBron James who wants to GM the whole team himself. I don't think Kunitz is in the conversation right now if Sid isn't involved. And people have been, there's been that with Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson and Sid were best friends from, they went to Shattuck St. Mary's, the prep school in Minnesota yeah. together for a couple years. They were picked in the same draft. Yohe wrote an article today saying that there's no truth to that, but who know? I mean, who, I'm sure Yohe knows a lot more than I do, yeah. but, <laughs> but what if, what if, even if Sid hadn't said anything, even maybe Rutherford or Sullivan or think like that's, that's a relationship for, for Sid. You I, pad the guys a little bit with comfort. Sometimes comfort makes up more than actual ability. And I mean, not, not in an extreme case, but if a guy's close and he's playing with someone he's comfortable with and the chemistry is there, that makes for better output. And a comfortability thing, this might relate to, I think we're seeing that, I touched on this with Jesse a little bit, in the goaltending situation with Sullivan and DeSmith. That's another thing. We're The Penguins have been making all these moves, rumored to sign depth forwards, defensemen. I still haven't heard one thing about the goalie situation. Yeah. And hey, are we going to go into camp with, with Murray and DeSmith likely, and Jari's still in Wilkes-Barre, and Jari comes up and plays gay? Maybe it could work. It could work. But... Also, Matt Murray playing 60 games. That's tough. Uh, the past two years. And listen, I hate one of my sports tropes, you know, the things that I, I, I hate how easy people are to label somebody as injury prone. Drives me crazy. Yeah. There's our rare exceptions, Bo Bennett, when it's true. But Justin Williams was labeled injury prone earlier in his career, and he went on to win three Stanley Cups and be known as Mr. Game 7. Guys, when they're young like that and their bodies are adjusting to the rigors of playing 82 games a year and hockey and hockey every day, like that happens. You saw it with Olimata. Finally played a full healthy season this last year after a few years of injuries. I just, what if something happens to Murray? Hey, you've got Jari, and he's got all this pedigree and everything, but I just, I would really love it if they had a established backup well, like a philip grubauer like the caps had like when they had flurry as the backup that's unfair yeah. to call him an established backup but you, know, you get one like the penguins the two years that they won the stanley cup now thankfully they didn't need to do this last year the two years that they so maybe maybe they're onto something the two years they won the stanley cup 2016 they played three different goalies 2017 they played two different goalies. so they've used multiple goalies the two times they've won the stanley cup what makes me think that they're not going to need multiple goalies to do it again the Capitals used two goalies this year in the playoffs. Now, granted, Grubauer only started the first two games, but still. It's, we're kind of in a hangover right now because yeah. the luxury of Fleury and Murray is, oh. is just unmatched. I mean, the, the ability two to have those goalies. guys, at least for just a season alone, would be awesome. But So we're kind of spoiled in that effect, but I think maybe at some point you got to look at a guy like Jari who could be a number one in this league. As as a number one in this league, or as an extremely valuable trade asset, right? Because if he's too. just playing five games a year, we've talked about it. We've mentioned it now. The Penguins are in a two three year window here where they can really truly contend again. Jari being being in Wilkes-Barre doesn't doesn't help. I would rather have somebody that can help the team now, right? And then we'll rebuild and blow it up when it's time and and whatever. There's no point to like, I, I don't know. I just it's confusing to me how there has been no conversation around the goalie situation when. We've seen how how big that was for the Penguins in the past. And Murray was not bad in the Capitals series, but he wasn't Matt friggin' Murray. And Braden Holpe finally played like a uh, the pedigree that he has in the postseason. And uh, we saw what happened. We saw what happened. I 
I don't know. There's just there's a lot going on with this team. I love that aspect of it. Oh well, we're in it now. We're in it. He opened the gates now. Once we're runner in it. for ghosts, you know he goes. We haven't even like, we haven't even yeah. talked about the pirates <laughs> yeah. on the show all day yet today. Yeah. So yeah. thank you to the Penguins. And you're right. When Rutherford's in it, he goes. And yeah. when they have their mind set on a vision, they get after it. And that's relating back to earlier some of the stuff that I love, and that they're transparent with that. But again, like I've mentioned, it just worries me that there's a couple signs here and a couple red flags that are just a little concerning. That's all. I don't want to put a target on GMJR's back. I've already told you. I wish I was his grandson. I wish Tom was his grandson. I hope he's here for a few more years. How about this? Don't panic. Just worry a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Coming back, we are going to talk about one of the most iconic moments in sports and entertainment history that happened 20 years ago today at my favorite sports facility ever. Rest in peace, the Igloo. Keep it right here with us. If you want to get involved, 412-922-2874 is the number to do so. I am Wesley Euler, filling in for Adam. This is The Crowley Show. The Adam Crowley Show. Oh, he went to the bottom. I give up, man. If you're not going to be honest about it, I give. John, my nipple, looks like, my nipple looks like my cat, like, a, like my cat's nipple. <laughs> Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. years ago today I would argue the most iconic moment in sports entertainment history everybody knows oh by god he killed him I don't care if you hate wrestling if you don't even know who Jim Ross is if you've never watched the WWE for a second in your life you have at least seen on memes on videos of something happening big hits in football when, J- when Jadavion Clowney killed a guy from Michigan oh by god he killed him It happened 20 years ago today, right here at what was at the time called the Civic Arena. Man, do I miss that place. And guys, I had no idea that happened in Pittsburgh until today. No clue. Yeah. No clue. Nice little surprise, though, huh? Yeah. Like, we own that. We own that. Yeah, that's ours. Especially in a building that doesn't exist anymore. It's almost like it puts it even more into lore and, you know, history. 20 years ago today, The Undertaker threw mankind off a steel cage at the igloo, and Jim Ross with one of the most iconic calls of all time in any sport. And listen, none of us here are like huge wrestling guys, but this is an obscure sport moment, if you want to say. Wrestling is not one of the major four sports. It's not soccer, if you want to add soccer as the fifth. It's, it's not even, eh, it's got a bigger probably fan base and following than tennis or golf. But in terms of the national conversation, it's not even tennis or golf. Everybody knows that moment. Again, like I said, if you don't even know who Jim Ross is, you couldn't pick the Undertaker out of a crowd. You've heard that call. You've seen that highlight of mankind going off the, it was a Hell in a Cell. I don't think it was Steel yeah. Cage. It was Hell in a Cell. I said Steel Cage earlier. It was Hell in a Cell. Into the announcer's table. By God, I think he killed him. <laughs> So this raises the question for me, what are some other, and I hope I'm not pissing anybody off when I say obscure sports moments, that's just for lack of a better term, if you guys have one, hit me. 
and I'm going to rule out the Olympics, much to Tom's chagrin. I'm going to rule out the Olympics in this because, yes, everyone's going to say, hey, remember when USA was down in the relay against France and they came back and won and it was Michael Phelps' 8-for-8 eight eight gold medal and, and, and then Michael Phelps is standing there and it was the other, the guy who got in trouble in Brazil. Ryan uh, Lochte? Yeah, Ryan Lochte is catching this French dude and Phelps is standing there and looking up at the thing. Everybody remembers those. Usain Bolt winning three gold medals in three races and just looking like a literal man amongst boys. Yeah, sure, people never forget that. But what's, other than the Olympics, some obscure sports moments that even if you're not a fan of the sport, even if you don't know anything about it, everybody knows it. The first one that came to my mind that I shared with you guys was, was Battle of the Sexes. The famous tennis match that pitted a, pitted a man versus a woman and... and was a huge talking point, not only in this country, but also in England and the UK. That was the first one that came to my mind. I also shared with you guys a few years ago, there was that women's soccer player from New Mexico State who had the viral video of her pulling hair and elbowing girls in the ribs and just all kinds of dirty play. That was another one that stuck out to me. If you've got some good ones for us, 412-922-2874 is how you get involved. I'd love the show. I'd love to have you on the show. But yeah, that's To me, there is no more... You take out things like the Immaculate Reception. You take out the Miracle on Ice. You take out um, Willie Mays over-the-shoulder catch. Things like that that are obviously all-time iconic moments within the major mainstream sports in this country. Aside from those, the catch that Dwight Clark had in the end zone. Michael Jordan, the flu game or the buzzer beater against the Cavs or the Jazz. I really think that this highlight is up there with those. Not on the same level, but it's darn close and i don't know i feel like there's got to be some more some more moments like this this is before my time but it's something that i've always gone back and watched a bunch of times i grew up in maryland so horse racing big part of the game in maryland when you watch secretariat run that 1973 race and start to pull away and the gap just gets wider and wider and you realize the dominance that's happening there now it's kind of counterintuitive because it's not a close thing you know he's going to win the thing but the dominance, the just sure. the, the anticipation just the speed of... that he threw out there mm-hmm. beating him and got the triple crown. I mean, that's an amazing race, and it really is. And I think especially with older people, that's something that will stick in their craw if they got to see it live. I know just by the recordings, I've watched sure. it over and over, and I love the damn thing. And that's, I think that kind of, we saw some of that, right, recently when we had, not this past year, because we had the triple crown winner this year, but we right. had the first, it was two years ago, right, it was... His name's escaping. American me. Pharaoh. American yeah. Pharaoh, who now you have to pay, uh, I think, about half a million dollars just for a couple minutes alone with American Pharaoh. Yep, for a little bit of the Talk juice. Talk about a good gig if you can get it. Yeah, little juice. Little I money. remember when he was going for that triple crown, young people, uh, my grandpa's age people, that was another one of those people don't give a rip about. Normally they care about the Kentucky Derby, but everyone was gathered around a TV for that. Yeah, yeah, I, it's an exciting sport. I think this is a little cheating because I said no Olympics. I meant the traditional Olympic sports in that. As much as this hates me to say because I hate him, I think he's a fraud, I think he's overrated, TJOC's shootout heroics against Russia hmm. would, would be one of those moments. That was awesome. I remember being up at like 7 a.m. in my dorm in college watching that and ugh, electrifying. Tom, stuff. I look back on it and I'm embarrassed and ashamed at how much I liked TJ Oshie in that moment. Because I hate TJ Oshie. He's one of my most hated players in the NHL. I think he's a pretender. I think he's overrated. He had a great playoff. I can't take that away from him. Uh, but I've never been a fan of TJ Oshie. But at that point, he was an American whole, hero. Listen, the whole, yeah, right? But it's the whole, 
oh, I'm not a, I'm not a hero. The one's wearing camo. And he said it again after the Capitals won the Stanley Cup. Like, dude, you're trying too hard. Yeah. You're trying too hard. People who really feel that way, they, they don't need to say that. Here's another moment for you guys. We've been talking some World Cup. World Cup's going on. Zinedine Zidane and the headbutt. The headbutt. Oh, yeah, the headbutt. Yep. Yeah. Well. We, we, we're bringing everything full circle today. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Zinedine Zidane, for my money, is the best midfielder ever to play soccer. One of the best five, absolutely ten soccer players of all time. He was a generational talent. Yeah. And all people know about. And it's not just in the United States. In Europe, too. People remember the headbutt. He's managed Real Madrid for the past three years. And the first modern era team to win Champions League in Europe three straight years. Real Madrid these past years. He's been their manager. People still bring up the headbutt. They bring up the headbutt. And I think you kind of see that that moment for Mick Foley became kind of his calling card where it was like, this guy will just take whatever abuse we want, we want to throw at him. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the thing with him, he's still relevant in the WWE because of that. You know, because of that whole run there, that whole thing. I mean, the guys could get, had the just crap beat out of them. Um, if I could, I want to throw a shout out to his daughter, though. Big fan of her. Big. big she's fan. fortunate looking. You've been telling me. I don't know if I've ever seen. Yeah, she's uh, Noel Foley. Very, very Noelle nice. Noel Foley. God she, bless Google. Yeah, she's a great sports moment. Um, how about uh, Reggie Jackson? Yes. Three home runs. Yes. In the World Series. That's something people remember. You know, and that's that's probably along the lines of like the maze catch and stuff, but it doesn't always get. And it's not obscure it, sport, right? But right, it's, but it doesn't always get the cred I think it deserves. But at the time, that was some pretty. That's one of my youngest sports memories, honestly. What about this? Is another off the beaten path of not an obscure sport, but it's not necessarily an actual game. When Vince Carter stuck his arm in the rim. Oh, I, th- I thought yeah. you might go with when Vince Carter dunked over the seven foot Frenchman. That was in the Olympics, and I didn't want to. Oh, double you're right. Da- I didn't want to double right. down on my. <laughs> oh, Tom. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Olympic ones that that we could. I mean, Carl Lewis, obviously, it comes to mind. There, there's a ton of Olympic ones, but yeah, I just that for me, I think, is the ultimate. It in terms of a a non popular sport moment, that might be the most well known. Like I said, that call is everybody knows it. Even if you're not a wrestling fan, even if you couldn't pick Jim Ross out of a crowd. By God, he killed. I mean. You go to a bar to Friday night in Pittsburgh, and you'll hear somebody yell that at some point. <laughs> it, it, it's this NF, upcoming NFL season. If insert player here, if uh, Joey Bosa blows somebody up, someone's gonna go on Twitter and dub over that Bosa hit with mm. "By God, he killed him." If TJ Watt kills Baker Mayfield <laughs> week one, <laughs> someone's gonna dub over that highlight with Baker Mayfield getting crushed by T.J. Watt, and it happened right here in Pittsburgh 20 years ago today at the Civic Arena. You know one thing that tells me, Wes, 20 years ago, I feel so damn old right now. I'm sure you do. I really do. How old were you feeling? I tell you that I was like six or seven when that happened. Oh, seven. shut the It was 20 hell. years ago today. I would have been shut seven. Shut up, man. I was four. With your seven and your four. So it was King of the <laughs> Ring was the event. So it was. They don't. Do they do? King, I don't think King they of the, do. It was King Hell in the Cell, King in the Ring. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of a double thing there. Mick Foley, and you know the best part too is that wasn't planned. I read that today. No, it wasn't. It wasn't planned for him to get thrown off the top. And that most people thought it was completely organic. I mean, because it's wrestling. <laughs> you know. I mean, of course it is, right? But no, it was not. And I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing about wrestling. Like we've talked about it off the air, and 
I'm a casual fan of wrestling. I don't take it seriously. Yeah, I go in for like a couple weeks at a time. I pull out, and then maybe something might interest me again, and I jump back in. So I'm not always there. I'm not the most diehard fan, but I am a fan of it. And and there's a truth to it that these guys really get beat up. I mean, oh. like oh, it's a fake sport. But there's there are real injuries. Maybe worse than football. There are real athletics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. When in football have you seen a guy 30 feet above a ring have to take a fall? You know, it's, yeah, granted, getting hit sucks, but I'd probably rather get run over by a football player than fall that far. 30 feet off a ladder. Yeah, yeah. Onto a, and another thing, people, oh, the mat's padded. It's not really that padded. I, like, I've been to a couple matches. You can hear you it to, when they you hit You get it to go clap. walk up and you <laughs> slap it a little bit, and, and there's not a lot of give on that thing. And it's all technique that they need to employ to not get hurt. And it's two people working in tandem to make this work without them getting hurt. So things go wrong. I mean, and that's an example of that's some serious carnage happening. there. And with everything being unplanned, they're fortunate that it worked out as well as it did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Could have been well, much worse. Well, he can't walk very well it these could days. Have been, but well, it could have been one of the most one of the darkest moments in WWE history. Well, Instead, yeah. we got this. Everything's on the table today, folks. I'd love to have your thoughts on on uh, the most iconic moments in obscure sports history and, and all these things that are going on with the Penguins. 412-922-2874 is the number. Right now, we're going to give away some tickets as well. Let's take caller number six. Sounds great. Win a pair of tickets to the All-Star Craft Beer, Wine, and Cocktail Festival. It's at PNC Park on Saturday, August 10th. You can get more info at ESPNPGH.com. Winners must be 21 or older, so don't call my man Tom unless you can legally drink. Or you have we'll a take, good fake idea. We'll take the sixth caller at 412-922-2874. When we come back, more Penguins, more entertainment. We've got a little bit of our own video game civil war going on here in the ESPN studios today. We'll get to all of that in the 6 o'clock hour. I am Wesley Euler, filling in for Adam. This is The Crowley Show.